Inside Books with Breda Brown. Welcome to Inside Books, a programme about the magical world of writing. I'm Breda Brown and in each episode of Inside Books, we chat to people associated with the world of books, including well-known authors, publishers, editors, agents, critics, booksellers and more. You'll find Inside Books on SoundClouds or iTunes and our Twitter handle is at InsideBooksIRE, where you'll also find lots of other interesting books news. My guest today is Anne Griffin, whose powerful debut novel, When All Is Said, was released recently to much acclaim. Published by Scepter in Ireland, the novel tells the story of 84-year-old Morris Hannigan as he recounts his life and loves through five toasts to five very special people. Although Anne only started writing professionally in the last few years, she's already been awarded the John McGaharan Award for Literature and she was also shortlisted for the Hennessy New Irish Writing Award and the Sunday Business Post Short Story Award. Anne, welcome to, to Inside Books. Thanks so much. It's your first book and it became a number one bestseller pretty much straight away. Yep. The week of its release, it went to number one. How did you do that? <laughs> I'm not quite sure. Um, and I was amazed um, and delighted and was so kind of new to the whole thing that when um, I said to a friend um, who, who's a writer um, I'm, I'm in the bestseller list um, and he was like you're in the bestseller list already I said yeah I, I'm number one and he said what what that doesn't happen you know to a debut it doesn't happen to an unknown um, so it was then I realised just how how phenomenal this, this was and um, uh, so it's been, I don't know how I did it other than I have been blessed with, I think, um, people just warming to this character, Morris Hannigan, who sits to the bar, drinks the five toasts. I think, you know, he has, he's a very, very flawed man. And I think somehow people are really quite drawn to that humanity of him. Um, and it's just, it's just captured something. They feel that they can relate to him. I think so. And, you know, people say, oh, it's, it's, um, it captures an Irishness to it and um, a particular type of person in Ireland, the, the quiet man, the man who, who forgets or just doesn't tell those closest to him how much he loves them, how much until he appreciates them until it's too, too late. late and where did the idea come from? Um, so... The genesis of the book came from a holiday, a family holiday um, and a chance meeting in a bar. Um, my husband and my son and I were on the Mayo Greenway and um, we were halfway through the holiday and we happened into the bar of um, a, a hotel in a small village. And there at the bar was a man. Just There was just one man in, in the whole bar. There was no one there at all, just him standing there with this pint as if waiting for the next person to come in to have an old chat with. And sure enough, he came over and we started to talk. And I was just really taken by this man. He was quite distinguished looking and um, he um, he had this set of dentures that didn't quite work when, <laughs> when right. he spoke. They went the other way. Um, and, you know, he talked about working in, in the hotel when he was a boy, although I never found out exactly what uh, what role he had. And I would have loved to have known that. Um, but I suppose it was the, the his final parting words to me before he went off to talk to somebody else who'd just come into the bar he said I'm not going to see the morning really? and off he went and left me with those really amazing words that I was I, I was you know God, did I hear him right and yes I had and that's exactly what he had said and so he was gone before I could pull him back to just inquire about that and say what, what does do that you mean, mean? Um, 
So the next day was our final day of cycling. And basically, I, I cycled that final trek from uh, from Newport over to um, Ackle, Ackle Island um, with those words in my head, um, thinking about uh, using my writer's brain because I knew he'd given me something. He'd mm-hmm. gifted me something in those words. You were trying to figure out I was what trying was. to figure out and it was just one of the best cycles of my life. My goodness, you'd swear I was a cyclist, wouldn't you? <laughs> I'm not really. Um, I, and I spent those hours in the pouring rain coming up with this idea of why a man would sit to a bar um, and what he'd be doing. Uh, And I I came up with this, I needed a a neat structure, I suppose. And I came up with this five toast to the five most important people in his life. And the name Morris Hannigan came to me as I was cycling. Um, And that's where it came from. This, This man, this stranger gifted me this story. So the Greenway has an awful lot to answer to. It sure does. <laughs> it sure does. And you said then you had to come up with that structure. Yeah. So when you came back and, and sat down and mm. decided that you were going to pursue this, then how mm. did you approach it? Well, I was very drawn to how Donal Ryan had written The Spinning Heart. And I think it's 11 stories he has in there. Um, as a very um, new new to novel writing uh, writer, I... I knew I needed something that would make it simpler for me. I wanted to break it down into almost, you know, a series of long, short stories and then that I could knit them all together um, with the common theme, obviously, being Morris Hannigan. And um, so so that's what I did. I basically decided, it, you know, it had to be a series of toasts to allow me build, uh, to allow me that structure that would allow me easily write the book because to a new writer because I'd only been writing at that point for just over a year and a bit um, you know I needed to know I could get to 70,000 words and so I think any writers out there who are thinking about writing um, or are in the middle of something give yourself an easy structure I'm not sure what that is but allow yourself go in in that manner you might pull that structure away at the end of the day the scaffolding of the book as such um, but it, 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 it was how I managed to write the 70, 80,000 words that I did. And in fact, that structure stayed there because it was such a nice structure. And for readers, I think they, they really like this structure, how it works through um, the book. By having a structure then, did it make the task feel less daunting? Did that Yoke, help? Totally. I mean, that's what I was looking for um, as a complete novice um, to novel writing. Um, I had written um, 70,000 words before of a novel that I considered my homework. It was never going anywhere. It was simply to see, can I actually do this? Um, So absolutely, by having that structure, I felt completely confident that I could do this. Um, I then... um, I had been... uh, I had applied to go on the MA in UCD. So... You know, I was quite strategic in what I was doing around this novel. First of all, I put the structure in place. Then I know, okay, I'm going into the MA. So I wanted to have a very good draft of the book that I could bring in to the workshops. And basically every time we had to submit anything um, for for critical feedback from the other students, I would pick a scene or a part of the book or so. I, it could even be a whole chapter um, of the book and... Um, so therefore got the critical feedback on that which is great 
It's invaluable. just brilliant. Absolutely invaluable. Um, and again, if there's anybody out there thinking of doing an MA, I, I highly, um, I, I, I very much recommend uh, doing an MA, but I also recommend being quite strategic about what you're going in to achieve. So have a body of work there. Not necessarily short stories. I, you know, people go in as poets, people go, you know, they go in with various um, um, writing projects that they want to do. So go in with something that, you know, by the end of that year, I want to have done this. And it gives you a purpose. It it really worked for me. I have to say it was absolutely brilliant. I, I knew exactly what I was at. And I remember one of the students when I, when I came out, one of my fellow students, um, when I came out, said, well, um, God, you came in with a novel. I'm not sure I would have done it that way. He was saying, you know, I, th- I you know, I quite liked that I went in not quite knowing what I wanted to do. Um, and I was quite surprised at that because I thought, well, actually, I'm really, really happy that I came out with a, a draft of this book that I now maybe with a bit, a month or two more is tweaking. It's done. I know, I know it's ready to go out. I know there's no more I can do on this alone or even with you guys. Like, it's done now. Um, so I, um, yeah, I kind of, I was quite quite taken taken aback by that comment because I believed actually I've achieved quite a lot here. But you went in with that purpose, and yes. I suppose different people, you know, approach things obviously in yes. different ways. Yes, but of course, you went in with that purpose, and you came out with a novel. Yes, pretty much a proper, fully formed. I did novel. I did. Um, now I went to UCD, and there were two courses in UCD. There's what's called an MFA and an MA. M- I think most people who have a novel that they that they're working on would do the MFA. So I was quite it was quite unusual for me going into an MA to have an act a novel in place. Perhaps I would have been better placed in the MFA. But actually, because I was so new to writing, still I wanted the general feel of an MA because I was getting not just to workshop my novel, but I was also getting to work on short stories as well. And in UCD there was a, a poetry module as well. And although I wasn't the best poet in the world, and poetry is not my thing, um, and I do apologise to all all of the other students who had to listen to my poetry week in, week out. Um, but all of that was really important. So I was quite happy to have been in the kind of more general MA than the MFA. And being exposed to different types of writing in exactly. different formats. Exactly. I mean, uh, as I say, poetry wasn't my thing, but what poetry taught me was the importance of a sentence, the importance of what words are in a sentence um, and, and getting a sentence sharp, getting a sentence to flow, getting out all of those additional words that are in there, just clogging it up, make it sharp, make, make it crisp. Um, so that's um, so there was a lot of benefit to doing those different modules. Interestingly, you've mentioned there once or twice that you've you've only become a writer yeah. recently. Yeah. Um, and you say that you came to it quite late. You were actually in your early 40s when, yeah. when you started. That's right. So we'll get back to why it took you so long now in a few <laughs> minutes. But do you think maybe it was because more life experience was there and when you were ready to do it, you you knew you were able to mm. focus on it properly and you had that structure in place? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, this. when I went back to do my MA, um, it was my fourth time going back to college. You fourth. Know, fourth. Cheaper. Um, yes. Yeah, so I've gone in to do various different things um, and uh, loved them all. Um, but I knew now, going back into college for the fourth time, what I wanted to do, mm. what I wanted and to do. And to achieve. get the best out of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yes, I do think that that life experience gave me not just a lot of raw material for the book, but also just that maturity around the approach of being strategic. 
So as we say, it's never too late. Never too late. Such a believer in lifelong learning, me. Such a believer in it. So I love it. Why did it take you so long? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, well, I suppose, you know, I always loved reading. I worked for Waterstones Booksellers for eight years in my 20s. So I was hanging out with would-be writers, aspiring writers. Um, I was in the world of of... This just so many amazing books and being, you know, being exposed to so many new authors, their books coming out. I remember when Mike McCormack's Getting It in the Head came out, uh, you know, but I never saw myself as a writer. Even though you were immersed in that world? Yeah, never saw. It was like something other people did. It was like the special people in this world, the really, really talented people in this world. And had you that. written at all at that point? No. With oh, the exception no. of college or, or Yes, whatever. exactly. And, you know, the odd piece of awful poetry at 16. Um, but no, I had never any aspiration around being it. It's not to say that had somebody said to me, do you know you're going to be a writer in 30, 40 years? Uh, oh, no. God, I'm aging myself far <laughs> too to much say. there. Sorry, 20, 20, 30 years. Be kind of yourself. <laughs> you know, it's not to say that if somebody hadn't come along and said, do you know what's going to happen to you? I wouldn't have gone, really? Oh my God, that's so exciting. Because And, you know, writing did excite me. Um, being around other writers did excite me. But it was like, yeah, but I'm the, I'm the bookseller. I'm not the person who actually writes the so books. So what was the catalyst then from being the bookseller yeah. to being the writer? Um, I'd hit a crossroads in my life, basically. Um, after Waterstones, I'd, I'd gone back to college to do a diploma in community and youth work and had become a development worker and had worked on the front line of things with asylum seekers and refugees and the traveller community and various other marginalised groups. Very different. Very different. Um, and um, I had I had then retreated from that after five years because I felt I wasn't made of the kind of strong stuff that you need to have. I was bringing far too much home and it was affecting me too much. Um, you know, the not being able to, to help people make changes in their lives uh, because of the systems around them um, so I went into the back offices of community work and I retrained again to become a financial manager manager within the charity sector so I was at that for about 10 years and I liked that because I knew I was supporting the essential frontline work but the money side of things was beginning to just it wasn't doing it for me I knew that I was beginning to slowly wither with that and that's not to say that there aren't people who don't blossom in that kind of thing just for me it wasn't working and I was on the phone to to um, write a friend of mine once again saying oh this I, I think I'm going to have to change career again or this, this something's not quite working for me at the minute and he just said to me and go write he said you know what good writing is why don't you just try writing and so that's when I started and I didn't know at that point. I thought it would just be a hobby. I thought it would just be something to pass the time to help me be able to just continue in my work and my career. But you obviously had the confidence to do it because you didn't question it. You just did no. it. Yeah, I, well, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, <laughs> and I suppose because I, I do love writing. Uh, sorry, I do love reading. I do love books. I do love story. I just, I am just so addicted to storytelling. And I mean, that that is a TV, film, um, books. I am, somebody telling me a story in the street. I am just addicted. I could sit in an airport all day just watching people coming through, listening. imagining their stories and right. listening. And, you know, um, 
that's that's just so so for me it was actually quite like oh wow yeah okay story can I create a story can I create a story that people would actually read and not fall asleep at um and so it was it was quite exciting and really I and I mean this honestly the day I started writing I opened up the computer did my first sentence and I thought oh wow this is it yeah yeah this is just great and it really hasn't stopped since. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not <laughs> I'm not sitting down every day going woohoo. Okay, let's go. 2000 words. I'm not. But I, the sentences are still flowing though. They're st- they're still flowing. I'm still there. Um and and really really enjoying it overall. So the career change was was worth it. Yeah. Because again, making that career change as you said yourself, in your 40s, you know, not easy. But, no. But you, you did it. I did it. And look, I have to say that, you know, um, I have the support of a great partner as well. You know, so I'm lucky. Um, and it, well, both of us, myself and James, have kind of um, done career changes in our lives. So we've supported the other when somebody, the other has to go back to college and study. So we've kind of weaved that into our lives that we would support a particular a particular moments. Um, and it's worked really well. And I'm I'm lucky enough to have had that. You're also lucky enough to get some really good early successes because within a year, was it, you were shortlisted for the Hennessy right. New Irish Writing yes. Award? Yes, yes, my very first short story. Couldn't quite believe Your it. Your very first short my story? My very first really? short story. Wow. I know. <laughs> That's what I said. Yeah. <laughs> Lady Luck is definitely <laughs> shining. <laughs> yeah, that was absolutely fantastic. Um, and and uh, obviously I didn't quite believe that. And I thought, therefore, that every other short story I ever ever wrote was going to be shortlisted for everything I put it in. <laughs> but it was. In for. Uh, well, no. Post, uh, yeah, well, no, I did that. But <laughs> short story like as well. Like every other writer out there, I have, I have a book of short stories, a couple of books of short stories that you know haven't haven't managed to make it anywhere um so yeah you know i suppose i i started out really well and um and then yeah i was kind of doing the ma and trying to write the book and um and plugging away like everybody is always submitting to journals and hoping to god they'll take you and then dealing with the unbelievable amount of rejections that you get you know but, which but is that's, that's the writer's right life it absolutely is yeah. and you're you know you do get a thicker skin I'm not saying it's ever thick enough that you're able to deal with the rejections because rejections are just hard but you get more used to them yeah. you know it's 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 an absolute shock if somebody says yes you know um, and a wonderful shock So how did the yes come then for the debut book? Yeah well so I came out of the MA at the end of 2016 and I started to submit um, my uh, my book at the beginning of 2017 um, and I was nine months looking for someone I it was on my 37th email that I finally found somebody. Um, I, like everybody else, it started with the Writers and Artists Yearbook and the website. Uh, every, You know, there were the computer in front of me started looking at all of those agents that I... Um, Who's uh, who represented people that I liked, um, and also sent to all the Irish publishers, which is great because in Ireland, you know, you get to send directly to publishers, which you can't do in the UK. So I did all of that, um, got my rejections, they flowed in, um, and um, actually, I got my agent through Twitter. Would you believe? Really? How yeah. did that happen? Well, there was one Friday <laughs> <laughs> when I shouldn't have been looking at Twitter at eleven o'clock in the morning. Procrastination. Yes, absolutely. And um, my agent had just joined um, 
the agency called Zeno Agency, which is uh, which which is the very last agency in the Writers and Artists Yearbook. So I would have been years getting there. Okay, but she had so traditionally this agency are a sci-fi fantasy agency. So actually, I possibly wouldn't have submitted to them at all. But she had come on board specifically because they were trying to expand. Um, the range of people that they they represented and uh, somebody in Cork and if ever I meet the woman I have to say thank you had retweeted the the, the tweet from this from this agent Louise Buckley saying hi I'm open for submissions and so I emailed her immediately and within 10 minutes she was back saying really yes very fast she was back saying I really like the sound of this can you send me the full manuscript and um, she said who's looking at it at the minute I thought oh everybody everybody yes (laughs) yes there were actually two agents looking at it who, who were who were showing particular interest and she said great will you give me until Tuesday (laughs) <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> I'll give you years if you want um, and she came back to me on the Monday and said I want to sign you wow. so I would. I signed up with her and then within a couple of weeks she had it out the book out into the world because it was just before the Frankfurt Book Fair mm-hmm. in 2017 so it, uh, publishers have money they're looking at that point and there was a four way bid before I knew it and um I was delighted that Scepter was in there as and well. And did you know there was a four-way Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah, they will let you know um, it, who's interested. Um, and the four-way bid, like it went on for, I don't know, a week or so. And, um, Were you sitting there at home biting wh- your nails going, <laughs> waiting for the phone to ring all the time? A bit, a bit. Although part of me was like, oh, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Um, no, you always want to know. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I, I was just terrified. They, I kept saying to Louise, oh, Louise, what if, they, what if they decide they don't want to, you know, bid anymore? And she was like, well, kind of that's what we want, Anne. We want to get to the person who really, really wants it. Um, and it was Scepter in the end. And I was so thrilled it was Scepter. Uh, they are a great, a great publisher. And um, David Mitchell um, is one of my favourite writers, uh, Cloud Atlas, David mm-hmm. Mitchell. Um, and um, so I was just, I was so thrilled it was them. Like and I, have they been great in terms of mentoring and just guiding you, especially as a so debut super. author? So super. I mean, they have held my hand all the way along and they've been really committed to the book. I, from the very start, I realised, wow, they are like, they are pushing big time on this book. They had a very early proof out. Um, straight after we'd done the structural edits, they brought out a proof and they had it out into the world very quickly, trying to to get a bit of interest. And um, it worked. I got some great quotes in from uh, John Boyne, Kit Deval, um, Dona Ryan, Fabulous. and then Gra- Graham Norton. Then read it, um, and then John Banville. It just uh, Cecilia Hearn. It was just amazing. Snowballed. Yeah, I mean, they really put their heart and soul into it. And and I had. Um, and they were working, the publicists were working out in the UK. There was also a publicist in Ireland. So they just, this felt like this amazing momentum coming right up to publication day. And then boom, it comes out and number there one is. bestseller. It was unbelievable. And it's now available, not just in Ireland and the UK, but yeah. everywhere. In the what States. I can see. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. States and Canada. And obviously it's in Australia, New Zealand and South Africa with Scepter. Um, but it's also sold into eight foreign languages now. Um, so uh, so have you seen it in Hungarian or Hebrew? Not or yet. Greek? Uh, <laughs> yesterday I saw the Lithuanian cover. And oh, it's really? Absolutely beautiful. But it comes out in France next week. So that's, that's the next big thing. Um, but it's 
also just to say about the audio, because I don't I don't know if people out there love audio, but I just uh, Niall Buggy reads um, the book and it is just superb. Yeah, he is amazing. Yeah. He's a fantastic actor. Oh, He's just And did you have any it. influence in terms of who read it? No, they were they um they had been looking and they had um they had tried um various people um and they ju- just the scheduling didn't work um but and then they found Niall and they knew instinctively once they heard his voice they knew this is the guy so so they they sent it over to me and I didn't realise this but they were all like oh my god if she doesn't go for this if she doesn't <laughs> say yes to this man they just didn't know what they were going to do because they just thought he was superb from the I one snippet of that reading and I knew he was perfect oh he's just it's just stunning so that's the debut novel that's <laughs> It's I done. know it's coming up it's, next. It's now. On, on the shelves. <laughs> yes. So what are you at at the moment? Yeah, so it's the dreaded second album that's happening <laughs> at the moment. Um, we yeah. get that an awful lot on inside books from our authors. I'm, I'm, we do. Yes, I'm sure it's a phrase that you're uh, that's well worn at this stage in here. Um, yeah, so working on the second book. And um, yeah, it's a book that's kind of been, been there in my head for quite a while. Um, so I'm... Working on it with my editor. I don't have um, the 12 other people sitting in the room uh, workshopping this thing with me. Um, so I'm working with with my editor on it. And I'm really enjoying the process. And, and how far in are you? Um, so I'm restructuring a first draft, I suppose. A, a good first draft. And that would suggest that it's just hot off the press. I've, I've been working on it for quite a while, but there's quite a bit of restructuring to do on it. But um, it's, um, it's a book that's set in Ireland. And um, this time it's a female voice, a young female voice. And was there a reason why you, you changed that so dramatically from the older male voice in the last one? Yeah, because I wanted to do something different. Um, and because her voice just came to me. Uh, I knew, like, I knew a bit like Morris. Um, I knew the name pretty quickly, and I knew, uh, I knew that it was her that that, that f- her voice that I wanted to inhabit for for a couple of years. And is it contemporary Ireland? It is contemporary Ireland. Yeah. You yeah. going to tell us anything else now? Um, <laughs> I'll tell you her name. Her name is Jeannie Longley, and oh, I love that name. That's an interesting name. It's really, it's really interesting, and um, I do Yeah, I'm kind of being a bit circumspect. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fair enough. I think the name alone is going to make everybody want to go out and uh, and buy the book. And in terms of, you know, you mentioned there as well, you don't have your classmates around you on no. this occasion. So mm. has your writing routine changed then between book one and book two? Um, well, I'm a full time writer now, which means that I get to write a lot more and I don't have to be uh, you know, doing a, a job and then coming home at night and trying to squash it in between nine and eleven. Um, Is that a good or a bad thing, though? Do you find it easier to write that way or harder? You just write when you get the time. I think you just make it work. Because I was going to say, sometimes when you have all the time in the world, yeah. you end up still with a hundred words at the oh. end of the day. You know? Oh no, absolutely. Yeah, you possibly yes. No, I I do find that. I don't think I'm any more prolific I think you know it just means that I'm I'm not as exhausted because I'm trying to squash everything in um and more thinking time maybe which is exactly no exactly yeah and it also means that I can do other little things um other writing things that might come up say around when all is said um so it's it's just given me that freedom but I my basic routine is uh Monday to Friday uh, nine to four um, because my son comes home from school then and so it's back to family life um, and um, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I my best writing is done in that nine to one slot. I find in the afternoon I'm really tired. And so I might do just some kind of I might do a little bit of editing or editing, say, if I've got a short story on the go or if I've got some work to do on when all is said. But predominantly that nine to one slot, that's where I am. I am best. Um and and then I will I will work at the weekends as well on it, um, depending what's happening. If if I'm in a scene and I want to keep it going, I don't want to lose the flow of the scene. I will write through on the weekends. Um, people may think that's weird that I wouldn't write on the weekends, but I like to kind of have a bit of family time, uh, you know, so I, I tend to try and keep Saturday and Sunday as free as possible. It's not always it's not always possible, and certainly at the minute, with when all is said, there's there's a lot of stuff going on with that a lot stuff. happening at the moment. Well, mm. Anne Griffin, thank you for joining us on thank Inside so Books, and you'll find Anne's latest book, When All Is Said, in your local bookshop now. Absolutely. The next episode of Inside Books will be out soon. Just keep an eye on our Twitter feed for details. The handle is at Inside Books IRE. And if you want to hear other episodes, just search for us on SoundCloud or iTunes, and don't forget to leave us a rating or review. I'm Brida Brown. Until next time, keep reading. Inside Books is a unique media production 